Tonight's episode of the Pulpcast is brought to you in part by... Tarantino's. If your hunger for meta-self-referential homage has silently crept into every facet of your life like a swarm of invisible face-hugging parasites, there is only one breakfast cereal that will satisfy. Tarantino's. Do you remember that one movie, man? Tarantino's. The marshmallows are shaped like cheerleader toes. Tarantino's. And now, your host. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 0.5 of the Pulpcast. I'm your host, Hunter S., and I'm excited to be starting what I hope gets to be a long uh, podcasting adventure together, fingers crossed. This first uh, sort of shorter episode, um, I intend uh, mostly just to be a bit of a teaser, a taster, a testing ground. Um... So when, uh, while we start this, I want to, if you'll indulge me just for a brief moment, uh, picture this. It's a scorching hot day, the hottest. So hot, uh, you're having trouble hearing uh, what anyone is saying. The kind of day where you can't go barefoot at the beach because the parking lot asphalt uh, is hot enough to burn your feet. Shirt stuck to your lower back with sweat. Just a kid facing down the ragged hot dog days of summer in the year of 94. You've just walked into an old school Baskin Robbins. And this is before Duncan shaved its way uh, into the game. Uh, back then, 31 flavors, Baskin Robbins. That was enough. The kiss of the freezers expelling the heat from your skin. You just started dressing yourself recently. You're feeling good. Uh, Pulp Fiction is about to come out in the fall, you'll learn about that later. Uh, and here I am, behind the proverbial counter with a box full of little pink spoons, each and every one of them, so independently full of promise. We remember peanut butter chocolate rainbow sherbet. What we had for our little taster episode. A fun little adaptation of A Telltale Heart, which Edgar Allan Poe published sometime in the 1840s. Um, I've done my own rendition of it. So now that we're uh, properly in the mood, rejuvenated from the heat of life, without further ado, um, I hope you guys enjoy uh, this story, which I've entitled Confessions of a Wild Heart. The Pulpcast would like to present now for your perusal an archival recording taken by the administrative staff of a highly secured rehabilitation center dedicated to the care of rare individuals who have proven that they may pose a potential danger to themselves or their fellow man. We take you now inside the very mind of one such patient, one 
Howard Henry McCready. Perhaps the only man alive ever stuck between a rock and a hard place, whose only regret in life is avoiding the rock. True or false? Nervous? That is what everyone keeps saying, isn't it? Nervous? Awfully nervous. Fine. Fine. True. All the time. Yes. I had been. Am. Well, but if you could dream my dream, you couldn't say that I'm mad. You wouldn't say that I'm mad. Sitting there, high and mighty is the turn of phrase in your white coat, just like the other guy. And this is why people still think of America as a semi-magic place. Because I can buy a white coat. I can get one for free. It's all in the look. Tinker with my mind, Doc. She's all yours. But we both know they don't have a doctorate program for the heart. There's nothing mad about it. If anything, the little fits had sharpened my senses, not dulled them, not destroyed them. Are you aware of the increased acuity of the human ear between the hours of sunset and sunrise? The light's got nothing to do with it. It's the decreased activity, fewer sounds traveling further with less obstruction. Above all else, this hyper sense of auditory acuity, that was the thing. All these gutter punks who like to get chatty in the court waiting rooms, they like to regurgitate these jailhouse penny dreadful stories about getting snuck up on in the showers as if there wasn't a primal sense beyond the holes in the front of their head. Part of me thinks they get off to it in an odd way, but that's beside the point. They don't know what's in the knack. I heard all things in heaven and earth. I heard things in hell and so far as there could be one at all. To be acute, to be in tune. How does that make one mad? Listen, I'll tell it to you like I told the other one. See how calmly I tell you the whole story, and you will see how logical I can be. I cannot say how exactly the idea first entered my mind. I did not conceive it. It was more like I received it. And once it had been received, it developed roots. It eventually grew like a tumor it grew, until at once the absolute fullness of that terrible specter's righteous ease, it haunted me day and night. You don't need to accept it as spiritual belief. It is only the effect of life, phenomenology and action, the right combination of desire and context, an inevitability. There was no passion in it. There was no malice. I loved the old man, in my way. He never shorted me on pay. He always ran it fair. After his divorce way back, he never had a lot of money anyhow. And what he did have, I didn't need that. Nobody needs to kill for money. You can steal it easy enough. Don't get me started about money, Doc. I'd rather you hadn't brought it up at all. The effect of the inevitable is bigger than money. Much bigger. Bigger than everything. But that isn't what you need to know. Or what you want to hear. You want to hear me talk about the eye. The old man's billiard peeper. The pale film of it. The unholy patina of his goddamn vulture's eye. When it looked at me, my stomach could turn. Not the old man. Do you see? It, the eye, it was a plague on the old man as much as myself. It weighed on his soul. I could hear the burden on him when he walked. And so by degrees, gradually, I decided, it became clear to me what had to be done. 
You'd prefer to consider me insane. That's easy. A symptom of compounded madness. How guiltless it all is. Oh, the tragic comedy of humanity. The fickle dance of insanity. This is no mental illness. It's poetry in motion. The true Wu Wei. You should have seen. You should have seen how precisely I proceeded with what precise caution. The clarity. That is the nature of how the work was done. I was never more attentive to the old man than during the whole week before I put him down. And every night, around midnight, I turned the lock of his door. I would open it, real gentle. And when I had made an opening large enough to squeeze my head into the room, I slid my torso lengthwise through the cracked door, holding the small narrow beam of a penlight upon the old man's face while he lay upon his bed so that I could see the vileness of the thing which haunted us both. The first night I moved by hairs into the room until I was standing silently at the foot of his bed. But I found myself incapable of the act. It went on like that for five days. Each night as I slipped into the room, I discovered the terrible milky ball concealed under a scrunched ball of skin, hidden from my hatred for it. Standing cold and silent in the dark like a frigid child at a school dance. And every morning I went into the old man's room, and I spoke jovially to him, calling him by name, asking how he fared through the night. If he had a clue as to what I intended, it permeated his mind only in his dreams. He suspected nothing. He never knew. Until he did know. On the night that it was done, he did drift out of sleep. I don't know why. An imperceptible shift in air pressure resulting from the open door. A nightmare. Who could say? Anyhow. He moved the bed. Suddenly. I held my breath, but I did not move. The old man's good eye was barely that. The room was pitch black, and so I knew he could not possibly see the opening of the door. I held my breath, and I counted 300 seconds, waiting for him to find his sleep once again. Then I kept pushing it on, steadily, steadily. I had my head in. I was about to flip on the pen light when he sat up in bed again. Who's there? I didn't move a muscle. For an hour, I did not move. All the while, he was still sitting up in bed, listening. Sitting in the dark, just listening. And me on the other side. And he knew. Not that I was behind the door, but a greater thing. I heard the weight lift off of him. He made a small groan, and it was not a groan of pain or of grief, no. It was a low, stifled sound from the bottom of his heart. The heart can make the sound when it is suddenly galvanized with awe. I knew the sound. On some nights before the sky lightens with morning, when you feel that the world is asleep, on those nights that sound has welled up from my own throat. Surprising, deepening with its croaking dread, the terrors of our behemoth smallness, Doctor. Look, I knew what the old man felt, and I pitied him. He had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. And as the stillness kept, his fears did start to grow upon him. I knew because he began to speak, just quietly to himself, but audibly. How's that for insanity? Talking to yourself, muttering, full sentence. It's just the house settling on the foundation. 
It was a small animal out in the yard. Don't be paranoid, Lewis. Can you believe? But he knew. Because in life, we ignore what we can, and we face what we are forced to. And the ultimate climax, the sensation of it approaching him, I mean... I never believed this until now, but it must be this way for everyone, somehow. He knew what stalked his shadow before he really did. And it was that subconscious influence, a totally primal fear beyond reproach, that caused him to feel, to know. Though he neither saw nor heard my presence within the room. And so I waited still. An hour probably, maybe more. And when I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to point the penlight towards the old man's face, covering most of the light with my finger until only a small single dim ray, like a string of spider's silk, it pierced the dark and beamed directly on the vulture eye. And that was the evil, Doc. It was open, wide open, and I grew Furious as I gazed upon it, I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it and chilled the very narrow of my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face. How could I have struck the spot so accurately in the dark, aiming almost completely blind? This, the synchronicity of it, the over-acuteness of the senses there inside my ear. The dull, quick sound of the old man's heart. That is when my eyes began to fill with blood. I scarcely breathed. The beating onslaught of the heart increased. My palms began to sweat. Christ, it's only then that I remembered I had the hammer in my pocket. The meaty mechanical pumping sound. It grew quicker and quicker and quicker and louder and louder. It grew louder. Every second it was impossible. Don't you understand? Totally impossible. It could not be acceptable to allow it to go on. So I am nervous. Sure, sure, nervous. I have fits. And amongst the dreadful quiet of that old house, so impossible a noise as that excited me beyond typical reason. But for several minutes, I did nothing. Even then, I had consideration. But the beating grew louder still in the old man's sleep, and the eyes swelled in the light with every breath, as if, if once it had sucked all the life out of the old man, it would release itself from his face. I thought the heart must surely burst from its bleeding. The sound, the sound would be heard by a neighbor. Surely at this point, the impossible pounding heart would give me away. I dropped the penlight to the ground, and I raised the hammer over his head. He shrieked just once. Four short, strong blows. I stepped away from the bed and retrieved the pen light. I turned it on and examined the corpse. Completely still, I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there. Many minutes. No pulse. He was gone. The old man's face was half off. His eye would trouble me no more. I worked quickly in the silence. I retrieved plastic bags from the kitchen and went about moving the body to the garage. 
I spent several minutes of struggle hoisting the body onto the tarp I laid out on the floor. I believed in the moment that the most physical element of the task was done. I was incorrect. Using a saw the old man had to take down pine trees for Christmas time, I cut off the arms of the shoulder and the legs, just about the middle of the thigh, and finally the head. It was the spinal column. That was the most physical element. I wrapped up the whole situation in heavy-duty vacuum seal bags, took a power washer to the garage floor, and then around with dilute bleach solution. I followed the same with the old man's room. When everything had been sanitized, I pried up three boards from the flooring of the room, only enough to slip the remains underneath. I then placed the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. By the time everything was taken care of, it was four o'clock in the morning, still dark. I returned to my room and disposed of my clothing. I showered, and as I did, I noticed that my hands, like the night, were absolutely still. No shaking at all. When I returned to my room and got dressed, the start of morning light had started to fade through the windows. That was when I heard the knock at the door. I went down to open it with a wary feeling. But perhaps someone had heard the man shriek. But why should I fear? People can yell in the night. No one could have yet possibly known what had transpired hours earlier inside the house. When I opened the door, my blood did actually run cold. It was the police. Three uniformed officers standing on the landing to the doorway. For a moment I thought that the way they all scrunched together like that reminded me of very much of roly-polies. They introduced themselves. I don't remember their names. They asked if they could step in for a moment. They said somebody called in. A neighbor across the street reporting screaming coming from the house early in the night. Suspicion of emergency or domestic violence, etc. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deployed to rifle about as the police are all wont to do. I stayed calm. A lie is only a lie if it seems like one. I asked the officers inside. I asked if they wanted a cup of coffee or a glass of water. The scream, I explained to them, was my own. I had been having nightmares, I explained, because my employer, the old man, was absent on a long trip out of the country and I was anxious about the stress that such a trip would put on his physical health. See, doctor, they didn't want to find anything. They weren't looking for anything. Why work when you were paid the same not to? I dragged them all around the house. I practically begged them, look, look around, take your time. I lingered with them at length in the old man's room where I showed them his personal effects, secure, undisturbed. With each passing moment, my confidence grew just as the idea to remove the old man had grown and then it nearly assumed its own insatiable verve. I brought chairs into the room and I asked the cops to rest for a minute while I myself, drenched in the positively wild audacity of my actually perfect triumph, I placed my own seat upon the actual boards beneath which reposed the dismembered remains of the old man. The officers were quite satisfied. I had convinced them. I appeared at ease. They sat while I answered genially and eventually they broke off entirely and chatted of trivial things. I even joked that if my employer did not return, I would have to call them in order to file a missing persons report. They laughed and laughed. How they laughed. But ultimately, I felt myself getting tired and restless, and I wished that they would leave. My head began to ache from fatigue, and 
I thought that I noticed my ears had begun to ring a little. But still, they sat and chat, chat, chatted away. Like they weren't wasting every goddamn penny of taxpayer money that pays for them to work. Then the ringing became more distinct. You see, again, it was the intense acuity of senses that got to me. It continued and grew louder. I talked more loudly to get rid of the feeling, trying to pop my eardrums with a hard swallow. But it continued and gained definition until... Until I realized that the sound was not coming from in my ear at all. I tried to focus on the voices of the officers, but their words grew faint. As if they were on a TV screen, and the sound was fading down, 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 and the sound increased. How could they not be distracted by the pounding din? What could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, the sound an analog watch makes trapped inside a pocket. I gasped for my breath. The thumping, clicking, stifling sound was suppressing all the life in the room, and still these police officers did nothing. I talked more quickly, more passionately, but the noise grew even still. I arose and I argued about trifles, high-key shapes, violent gesticulations, but the noise... The noise, Doctor, how could it possibly be? How could it be? You can't answer that. I flung myself up from the chair and stomped around the room with heavy strides, yelling at the top of my lungs. They were all silent now. The officers looked at me. I raved and swore at them. They all stared at me as if I were suddenly possessed by a rabid animal or something, and it grew louder, louder, louder. God! No. No, they heard. They had to hear it. They knew the whole time. They knew they were making a mockery of my pain. No, it can't be possible. Anything is more tolerable than the derision of the public declaration. I, I can't. I can't bear your hypocritical smiles any longer. I felt that I had to scream or die, and now again, louder, louder, louder. I am not mad, I am a citizen. That is when I showed them. I admit the deed, tear up the floor. Here, here, you filthy pigs, the sound, damn it. It is the beating of his unholy heart. If you've enjoyed this presentation of the Pulpcast, uh, you can look forward to a lot more episodes coming out in the near future. You can follow us on social media, uh, particularly Instagram at the Pulpcast, as well as uh, on Patreon at the Pulpcast slash Patreon.com. Uh, barring that, hey, give us a review on iTunes, but for the most part, uh, just stick around. We're excited to uh, see where this whole thing goes.